Welcome to the SLP Talk Show. Real talk with Carrie about stuff that really matters. Hey, it's Carrie, your fast-talking, speech-therapy-loving host. While you are driving, cleaning, exercising, or whatever it is you do while listening to podcasts, I'm going to be chatting about pediatric speech therapy stuff. But I don't want our time together to feel like work or be boring. You already work enough, and you already have enough boring stuff to do in your life. So let's get going and have some fun. Hi, welcome to the 15th episode of SLP Talk Show. I'm Carrie, and I'm in the studio with my husband and honorary speech-language pathologist, Jim. That's me. (laughs) Welcome. I'm here. Yes, I... uh, actually just got back from Kentucky. I uh, do a lot of traveling as a professional speaker, and so I was in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, and uh, did a presentation for about 120 or so uh, school district employees. And so uh, while I was there, I met a lot of great people. I bought you some bourbon. Yeah, you brought me some goodies. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. yeah. Jim has it. It was like a, Christmas. I like children's books. Jim likes bourbon. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, pretty much. That, that yeah, sums it up. Yeah, because yeah. I came home from Kentucky and on my desk was the box of Amazon books that yeah. I ordered. Yep. And on the bar was three bottles of bourbon for you. Yeah. So we both got presents. Two of which I've had yet third one though is a new one so. it's a new one i did yeah. i tried to get you something you hadn't had before so uh yeah so i went to the liquor store you know because <laughs> that's what i do you so think of me i do i love liquor you stores. and i wanted to buy you <laughs> bourbon so anyways went to kentucky uh drove through some crazy weather getting there hit a massive thunderstorm i mean lightning hail like the whole nine yards and then drove home in rain not quite as severe but so i'm glad to be home I'm I'm glad you're home too. Yeah, back in Kansas City. So when I was in Kentucky, one of the presentations I did was talking about sensory and sensory differences. And so I thought maybe, uh, you know, since I kind of have it on the brain, I thought maybe we'd talk about some sensory stuff today. Okay. Does that sound good? Sounds good. So uh, we, if you're a new listener, we have an autistic son, Aaron, who is 17. And I think it's fair to say uh, Aaron has some sensory differences. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And when he was younger, like when he was a toddler, preschooler, you and I had to spend a lot of time kind of learning about his sensory differences. Because if you really want to understand a child's behavior, uh, it's really important to understand their sensory needs. Sure. And so I thought we could talk a little bit. I think we're going to do a couple episodes on this topic because it's a pretty important topic. And I don't want to give too much information at one time because I don't want to overwhelm our sure. listeners. So yeah. I thought what we do is just kind of talk about what 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 are what do we mean by sensory processing? Why do we need to know about it? And then I thought we could just talk about the sensory systems. And then I thought next time we could dig a little deeper. So Sounds good. Okay, so um, let's talk about sensory processing, sensory preferences, and sensory differences. And I just want uh, listeners to know that uh, the occupational therapist is the professional who specializes in uh, sensory processing and sensory processing disorder. And I am not an occupational therapist. I'm a speech-language pathologist. Um, But it is really important that all disciplines and parents and teachers and everybody really understands how to support a child's sensory needs. So it doesn't matter what your discipline is or if you're a parent listening or a grandparent listening, right? It's it's so important to understand um, sensory needs. And here's why. You ready? This is this is this is the most important thing. Right. I say this all the time, but sensory trumps everything. 
right? Nothing matters. You can't, you can't teach a child any new skill. It's hard to build an authentic relationship with a child until the child is in a ready state for learning. So when we say we need the child to be in a ready state for learning, what we mean is we want them to be well regulated. So kind of uh, my favorite little formula for uh, how to, because, uh, you know, I'm an early childhood provider, uh, early intervention provider. So one of the key things is um, uh, this is the formula, regulate, reach, teach. Hmm. So first we regulate okay. the nervous system, then we reach them and build an authentic connection, and then we can start teaching new skills. So if you remember when Aaron was, you know, Aaron's 17 now, but gosh, when he was again, a toddler, preschooler, even, you know, early elementary um, uh, school age, it was really tough to uh, teach him new skills. Mm -hmm. Like, remember, he struggled with things like even just dressing himself, you know, or, I mean, it was just really tough to teach him those new skills when he was so dysregulated. He had so many sensory meltdowns as a little kid. He did, yeah. Do you remember how intense they were? Um, I mean, they would last gosh, 20, 30 minutes sometimes. And sometimes it would take him about as long to calm down, you know, from a meltdown. Yeah. It usually was, I don't know what it would be that would set him off, but yeah, it would take him a good, sometimes half an hour. Yeah. 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 He had triggers. And I mean, sometimes we can, you know, maybe talk about every child has different sensory triggers, right. Mm -hmm. And what it is that quote, you know, sets them off, but those sensory triggers differ for each child. And the, the really interesting thing to understand about sensory meltdowns is there often isn't one trigger like it's not often the last thing that happened usually with sensory it's a cumulative effect like there's you know there's only so much you know change and uh sensory um input that the nervous system can handle before um the child kind of goes into meltdown mode so it's often not just one thing it's often a cumulative effect well and i think there was a lot of instances too where there was something that he was doing that was you know making sense to him or you know he was getting for him. Mm-hmm. getting something and then it had to end sure transitions are often and a then big trigger that's what you know he didn't want it to end right, right so right. that's when there would be a meltdown right. of, of some sort and it'd right. usually be because we have to go somewhere right or you know take yeah. him to school or, or something like that you time know. to eat or yeah so yeah. transitions are often a trigger and so it took us a while but as parents we finally learned that we needed to prepare him for upcoming change and right. so preparation verbal preparation using like little sand timers you know things like that so he's an idea or even just going in and saying hey buddy in two minutes it's going to be time to go to church right. and then we'd go in and say hey buddy in one minute it's going to be time to go to church or but to it, grocery but store but it took wherever. us a, a little while to figure that out oh man did it and that's why i'm such a proponent now as a professional speaker is uh sharing these strategies you know with right. other providers and with families because it took us a long long time to figure some of these strategies out so sometime i think we'll do several episodes maybe on sensory and we'll talk about more specific strategies but I want to go back to talking about sensory processing okay and what do we mean by sensory processing as a speech language pathologist I always say there's two kind of terms that I think are difficult to explain to um, non-therapists and the two terms are motor planning Mm-hmm. And the other is sensory processing. And the reason I think those are difficult to explain is because they're not tangible. They're not something you can, you know, see. Right. And so we're talking about nervous system. We're talking about the brain, right? When we're talking about motor planning, we're talking about the motor cortex in the brain that you can't see, you right. know? Right. And when we talk about sensory processing, we're talking about the nervous system, right? We're talking, so sensory processing is really the way the nervous system receives and then processes and then integrates uh, the messages uh, from the sensory system. So that that information 
that the nervous system has to take in, here's why it's so complex. The brain, the nervous system has to take in information from the outside world, but it also has to take in information, sensory information from inside the, the, the person's own body. Sure. So you've got external information and internal information, and the nervous system has to uh, process and integrate all of that external and internal stimuli. So it's a, a big job that the nervous system has. And so uh, it's really important to understand that sensory processing, we're referring to uh, the, the way that the brain, you know, takes in, processes, and integrates all that mm-hmm. sensory information. Um, and, and what it does then, uh, the nervous system takes that information in and it turns that information into behavioral and motor responses. So that's what we can observe. That's what we can see, right? Is the child putting his hands over his ears. Yeah, it's the responses. Putting his hands over his ears or shrieking or, you know, whatever that behavior is. We can can see that. So I want everybody to understand that every human being has a unique sensory profile. And when I say it's unique, it is as unique as your fingerprint. Okay. Really? So yeah, wow. it's, it's really amazing when you think about, so you've heard the term like, oh, you know, we, we need to know the child's temperament. And mm-hmm. I think when we think about our three children, they all had different temperaments, oh, didn't sure. they? So when, when you talk about someone's temperament, it's really important to recognize that the, the person's sensory profile is what helps determine the child's temperament right it's mm-hmm. it's part of that so each one of us um as human beings we're, we're all wired differently okay so because we're all wired uh, differently we each have a unique sensory profile right meaning we each have unique sensory preferences so for example like i don't love vestibular input i don't love roller coaster rides i don't love spinny rides i get car sick right i'm very over responsive in like the vestibular sense Mm -hmm. there are people however who crave vestibular input who love you know uh uh, upside down roller coasters and love the idea of skiing down a mountain and you know uh, uh uh you know jumping off a I don't know. You know, you think about uh, athletes like um, in the Olympics, those extreme athletes, you mm-hmm. know, they obviously crave that type of sensory input. So each one of us is uniquely wired. So mm-hmm. sensory differences are part of being human. We are all different because our sensory profile, again, is u- as unique as our fingerprint. So as an early childhood provider, what is so important to recognize is when we talk about sensory differences, they only become a concern when those sensory differences are interfering interfering with the occupation of childhood. So that's a term that I borrow from the field of occupational therapy, but I just love it so much. Think about that, the occupation of childhood. And I sometimes hear people say, oh, a child's job is to play. And when I think about it, a a child's occupation or a child's job is to learn and develop. And anything that, they do it best through play though. That's the modality through which they learn and develop best. But anything that interferes with that occupation of childhood, anything that interferes with the child's ability to learn and develop new skills, that's when it becomes a problem. So we don't address all sensory differences because every child on the planet, every human being on the planet has sensory differences. We only address them when it's interfering with the occupation of childhood. Wow. Isn't that a cool? Yeah. And I I can see how interfering with the occupation of learning and developing, there's lots of other things, even besides sensory. Oh, absolutely. That factor in there. And that's why we have... Maybe those are future podcasts. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, that's why we have IFSPs and IEPs and 504s and we make accommodations and modifications because we're starting to recognize that, you know, uh, it's not like you take 
a, 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 a child and say every child's nervous system is exactly the same. Therefore, they all learn the same way. We, right. We're starting to recognize and understand. That's why any kind of common core anything, anything that's, you know, say there has to be one way to do something. Sorry, that's not going to work no. because, you know, everybody's wired a little differently. We all learn a little differently. Some of us need more movements, you know, than others in order to learn and develop, right? And yep. and so uh, we start talking about environmental modifications. You know, what can we do to support our learners and truly creating a, a unique um, or an individualized uh, learning experience for our kids? And so that's what you and I did for, for Aaron. We had to, right? Because we raised two neurotypical daughters and they were unique in their own right, right? They certainly were not clones of each other despite being less than a year Mm -hmm. apart in age. Uh, But when Aaron came along, Aaron um, has sensory differences that were interfering with the occupation of childhood. He was not learning and developing new skills. He was very um, kind of stuck in his development. Um, And and so, you know, it took him, um, us some time to figure out how to help him uh, be regulated so that he could participate in more activities. And Is it possible that he was developing, but just maybe in ways we couldn't? And, you know, he probably was, but he spent so much of his time crying and in meltdown mode because the the learning environment, you know, especially mm-hmm. in early in the in the classroom, you know, it was not set up for well, him. Yeah, they were obviously forcing a lot the agenda on him. Yeah, yeah, know, there were a lot of demands placed on him put, that put, he, you know, and he was what three years old, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and he was not well regulated in you know, any. No, and and I, I don't know that there's there's other subjects we can cover, but this is about sensory. But yeah, yeah I, I I agree that their environmental um, you can change that environment and then change what the responses are going to be. Instead of, because the medical model of disability, which is what like I was trained under and most therapists are trained under, would say we need to fix the child. Right? Oh, the child's behaviors, no. he's non-compliant, he refuses to participate. He's, you know, I can remember very vividly, and again, this is 15 years ago, but uh, they would send home from early childhood um, every day. Uh, he went four days a week for a half day and they would send home a little sheet that talked about what kind of day Aaron had and his was they had happy face and sad face and every day they circled sad face like he mm-hmm. never had one good day and I mean it was just heart-wrenching you know right. as parents to, to recognize so they weren't able to meet his um, his needs his individualized needs right. I mean one thing I always say about school readiness uh, we always say the child should be ready for school but I'm going to argue the school has to be ready for the child meaning they have to be yeah. ready to meet the individual needs meet them where of the at. child meet them where they're at not not meet them where based on his age, these developmental milestone checklists say he should be, right? Because that's not going to happen, especially with neurodivergent children. So let's get back to sensory. So we're talking about um, sensory processing. And so uh, again, our brains have to constantly process uh, and integrate information coming from external sensory systems and internal sensory systems. So that's what I want to talk about today. Okay. So I know you've heard me do a lot of my courses, Jim. And so Mm -hmm. you you may, I don't want to like, I hate putting you on the spot, but I'm going to. Yeah, you do. I do. Don't say that. You love putting. I do. So I'll put you in the spot. So how many sensory systems do we have? Eight. Oh my gosh, you do listen. You're amazing. (laughs) Okay, so we learn about five in elementary school. Like when you went to elementary school, did they teach you about your five senses? Right. Yeah, you got sight, um, smell, Mm -hmm. touch, hearing, taste. Yep. 
Yep. So there's five the, external yeah. sensory systems. I know the other ones too. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get there. Good. So let's talk about the five external sensory systems. And the reason they're called external is because you have external body parts that you can actually see, touch. Okay. So you've got a nose for smelling, mm-hmm. ears for hearing, eyes for seeing, a tongue for tasting, and hands for touching, right? So mm-hmm. that's why they're called external sensory systems because there is an external physical body part that you can actually see. So when you're in elementary school and we teach kids about the five senses, um, that's true. There are five, but I think it's time if we, you know, that we have to start introducing the three internal sensory systems mm-hmm. too yep. so we can start building um, uh, awareness of what's happening inside your own body. Sure. So, okay, Jim, give them to us. What are the three internal sensory systems? Uh, proprioceptive. Proprioception is one. Um, that's like where your, your body in space. That's yep, sort of body thing. awareness. Yep. Um, vestibular. Vestibular, so yes. balance. That's balance. Movement and balance says. And then gustatory? Oh, no, that's taste. Oh, oh, no, oh that's, wait. Yeah, it's... No, the, in, the internal... Yep. What, what is that called? Um, Inter- interoceptive. Interoceptive. Yep, it's a hard word. Interoceptive. So like, that, that's like when you know you're hungry. When you know you're hungry, thirsty. It's, or you got to go to the bathroom. Got to go to the bathroom. Right. That's how you know. Um, yeah, well, we'll talk about each of these. Let's kind of go through these a little bit, okay? Because I think this will be helpful. Aren't you proud of me? I am beyond proud of you. Yeah, I mean, because most people, I would say most therapists know there's most lay people think there's five senses most therapists think there's seven and then our ot's are the ones who tell us no 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 there's eight and this eighth sense interoception is kind of this hidden sense don't, don't you wish you had like some bourbon flavored scooby snacks you that i could like, give you yes yeah. i could praise you for yeah. for uh knowing knowing uh the different sensory systems absolutely so let's talk about these uh eight sensory systems let's just kind of go through them just a little bit here um so the visual sense obviously is you know sight and it's just important to recognize that visual acuity is different from visual processing so a person when we talk about visual acuity we're talking about how well the the sensory organ is doing its job. So mm-hmm. what is your vision? How well do you see? Right. If you have visual acuity problems, we're going to give you... Glasses. Glasses or contacts, right. right? So that's how we address visual acuity problems. But you can have 20-20 vision and have visual processing problems, okay? Right. So visual processing is how well the brain um, interprets the information taken in through the eye. So um, uh, visual, like, okay, we can talk about, this is really interesting, and you're going to love that we're going to talk about this. So in the visual sense, um, well, no, actually, we're going to save that because the next episode, I want to talk about ways to be dysregulated in all of the eight sensory systems. So actually, then we'll talk about, and you're going to love this, the bear's. Yes. Yes. So oh, yeah. what we're going to talk about, if you listen next episode, we're going to we're going to talk to you about Aaron and his um, little sorting bears and what he used to do with them when he was little. But so we have the visual sense. Okay. We have the auditory sense, which again is how well you he- you know is hearing. So auditory acuity is how well you hear. Mm-hmm. Some people have a hearing loss, and if they have a hearing loss, okay, they have a problem with their hearing acuity. So how do we help them? Hearing aids. Give them hearing aids, right? Okay, so that's auditory acuity. You can have um, perfect hearing and still have auditory processing problems, which means you have difficulty Mm -hmm. uh, processing what you hear. I know that I've always had auditory processing challenges um, because I do so much better when I see something versus when I hear it. I don't process, and you know that, you've been married to me for 29 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't do a good job of remembering or processing what I hear. Now, I have no problem with my hearing. It's processing what I hear. So when we watch movies, what always has to happen? What has to be on the screen? Captions. The captions have to be on the screen. I can't, I mean, I could literally be watching a movie without the captions and hearing everything, and Jim could stop and be like, 
what just happened in that scene? And I would literally be like, I don't really know. I mean, I just don't process language very well. So when I was in college, you know, high school, I mean, for me to, to get through college, I had to take copious notes because I couldn't just, you know, some people can just sit and listen to the professor and take it all in and they know it. Oh Mm -hmm. my, not me. I mean, if I don't, if I don't write it down and have something visual to go back to, I don't learn. So I've always had to kind of compensate on my own, you know, for my auditory processing struggles, I guess. Well, I think I have the opposite issue. Uh I, I have, I'm very good at auditory processing. Yep. You are. And I can remember things that people said yep. from years ago. So we have visual, we have auditory. Gustatory is the taste sense. That's just the fancy term for taste. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, we know we have five different... Uh, is it gustatory or gustatory? Gustatory. Probably gustatory. By the way, I think I'm 10 for 10 on the uh, questions you've given me I know. Today. You're amazing. You're doing amazing. Gustatory. gustatory. Okay, so the, 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 the taste sense. Right. Gustatory. Gust- I, I'm I, sure it's gustatory. I, I kind of messed up the internal... The, the, Interoception. Interoception. That's a hard one to say. Olfactory is how well you smell. What's amazing about the smell sense um, uh, is that the information that's taken in through the nose is actually processed in the limbic system, Mm -hmm. which is the emotional uh, center of the brain. And so that's why they say you never forget a smell. And there will be times in your life where you will smell something and it will maybe remind you of... Um, your grandma who's maybe been passed away 15 years or it might remind you of a vacation you went on when you were a kid so they say you never forget a smell because they're so uh, tightly uh, (laughs) closely tied I can't talk closely tied to um, memories to emotions right yeah feelings it's really really kind of uh, I'll give a really um, I don't know it's maybe not a a great example but it's from my own life so as a breast cancer survivor um 10 years now uh but i still have a really strong reaction to certain scents because my chemo port you know was in my upper chest area and before i would go to chemo every week they would have to clean it with like you know alcohol so there was a very pungent alcohol smell and to this day um, I really struggle with like Clorox wipes, you know, mm-hmm. with using anything that's really um, potent because I immediately am taken back to cancer, to chemo. Right. And I mean, I can actually, the minute I smell those Clorox wipes, I literally like feel like I'm sitting in the chair, like with chemo. Right. I mean, I can remember every, everything about uh, that chemo experience, but what triggers it is smell. So, yeah. and it's been 10 years. Yeah. So it is really interesting how powerful our sensory systems are. Yep. And then the tactile sense is the sense of touch, okay? And it's important to understand that the tactile sense is the largest sensory system in the body because your skin is the largest organ in your body. So this is kind of gross to think about, but if you took all your skin off, (laughs) you should see Jim's face right now. If you took all your skin off your body and and laid it on the ground in front of you, it would cover 15 to 20 square feet, depending on the size of your person, right? So it's really amazing to think about how huge, how enormous the the, the sense, uh, the tactile sense actually is. It's not just information you take through your fingertips. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it is, your your skin is the sensory organ for tactile. Okay, so the three internal sensory systems then. Proprioception is your body awareness sense. And so there are there are sensory receptors located in your muscles, your ligaments, your joints, and your tendons. And so the way those are activated is through uh, joint compression and joint contraction. So mm. this is why movement, and in childhood, early childhood, we talk about play-based movement, how mm-hmm. critical that is for the development of the proprioceptive sense. And I will just say that, you know, proprioception is... Um, uh, such a powerful sense because um, in this 
digital age that we live in, have you noticed more and more people um, struggle with sleep? Like, you know, there's more insomnia, there's more problems with sleep. And uh, human beings have to have steady doses of proprioceptive input throughout their day to establish healthy sleep patterns. So because we're a generation who doesn't move, that means we're not doing a lot of heavy work. We're not getting a lot of input to the receptors in our muscles, joints, ligaments, and tendons. When you and I were kids, we were hanging from monkey bars. We were climbing trees. We Mm -hmm. were riding bikes. We were roller skating. You know what I mean? we were in constant movement and so we got tons of input have you ever heard like as a parent we probably said this when our kids were were little like oh we went to the zoo and then we went to the park and boy our kids are going to sleep good tonight well why do we say to that what do we mean by that well we mean man his nervous system got a lot of proprioceptive input today so boy that kid is going to sleep good that is exactly so back in the uh olden days or as Aaron would say the wild west (laughs) (laughs) back in the olden days when everybody pretty much lived on a farm grew their own food you know they had to plow they had to bale hay milk cows you know they were when everybody was a farmer right everybody lived on a ranch or a farm and had to work outside and work with their hands do you understand that human beings got all the proprioceptive input their nervous systems needed so there didn't used to be things like sleep problems you know what I mean everybody slept and slept good and slept hard because they got proprioceptive can I give an example Please do. Okay, so when I was in high school, I played football. And, you know, I was in really pretty good shape all the time. I was always playing sports, basketball, baseball, whatever. But the first day of two-day practices, Uh where you had two football practices. Was was it one in the morning, one one, in the afternoon? Yeah, and it was hot and Uh all that stuff. But, you you, you know, like two and a half, three-hour practices. Right. And you had two of them. (laughs) So I got home that night, ate my food, went into my bed, Pulled the covers up like this and put them like right below my chin. Right. And I woke up in the, in the same. exact same position where my hands were still on the covers where I'd pulled them up. And that's that's from all that proprioceptive Right, input. because you were you had worked your body hard. Oh, man. You were tired. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So that's proprioception. Um, vestibular input is your balance and movement sense. And so while tactile, the tactile sensory system is the largest, the vestibular sense is the most powerful. Mm-hmm. So this is why you don't mess around with the vestibular sense. Like you would never just take a child who seems dysregulated and be like, ooh, let me spin you in this office chair as many times in a row as I can. That row Rotary input can be extremely dysregulating. Mm-hmm. Have you? I don't know if you've ever felt. I mean, I get this way because I'm I'm very over responsive in the vestibular sense, so I get easily car sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you've ever felt nauseous or dizzy, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around you the world stops for you. Like you can't function if you're nauseous or dizzy. Is that fair to say? Yep. I hate the silly silo. The silly silo from Adventureland in Des Moines, Iowa, where we grew yep. up. Yes. Or, well, I think I wrote on down in Silver Dollar City too. Oh, was there and one I, like and that? And I th- threw up after. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least yeah. I didn't throw up in there. That would have been bad probably. Yeah. 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 Those spinny rides, not for me. Not at all. So like um, being able to tolerate inversion, being upside down. Like I don't love that either. Okay. So it's just really interesting how when you understand the sensory systems and in our next episode, we'll talk about the three ways to be dysregulated in the sensory systems. When you understand that, you start to understand your own sensory profile and that helps you to understand your likes and dislikes, right? Mm-hmm. What are the things... What are you drawn to? What things do you avoid, right? And it's really fascinating. So vestibular is that movement and balance sense. And this is the sensory system that allows you to know, am I sitting or standing? Am I moving forward or backwards? Am I right side up or upside down? It's your relationship of your body to gravity, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really powerful sensory system. The analogy I like to give, if you want to give a parent an analogy of the vestibular sense, is one of those 
um, levels, like a carpenter's level, mm -hmm. because it literally has fluid in it, just like the fluid in the inner ear, because that's where the vestibular sense is. It's mm -hmm. located in the inner ear. So um, like when I bend over to pick something up, I'm not going to fall over because I have an intact vestibular sense. So, you know, on the little carpenter's level on the side, there's a little bubble so that if you're at an angle, right. but you still want that little bubble to be in the middle, meaning you want to be balanced, right? Sure. Whether I don't care if I'm, you know, sitting upright or if I'm bending over to pick something up off the floor, I, I don't want to fall over. I mean, my balance is intact. What's interesting about elderly people. So my mother is 90 years old and she has vestibular, she has balance problems, mm -hmm. right? And the older people get, the more balance problems they experience because inside the inner ear, you have these little hairs and that's what helps you have balance. Well, as you get older, those hairs start to get fewer and further between. So there aren't okay. as many of those. And so that's why elderly people have balance issues and okay. fall. It's really all very fascinating. And then finally, the interoception. Uh, this is the eighth sensory system. It's often called the hidden sense. Uh, there are receptors that are located, sensory receptors located deep in the organs in your body. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, um, yeah, you mentioned like, how do you know when you're hungry, right? Because you have receptors in your stomach that send messages to your brain that go, dude, I could use a little food right now. How do you know when you're thirsty, right? How do you know when you have to go to the bathroom? You know, and when the receptors send a message to your brain that go, hey, you need to go to the bathroom. And if you're sitting at work or you're in a meeting and so your brain communicates back to your receptors in your bladder and goes can you give me like 10 minutes this meeting's almost over and your bladder will then say this is kind of an emergency you've been holding you know what I mean so you <laughs> right. have this conversation between your brain and the receptors in your uh, organs of your body so on I don't even know what channel I want to say TLC or one of those channels there's a show and I have no idea what it's actually called but the the gist of the show is dude I had a baby and I didn't even know I was pregnant you know what? Have you ever seen that show? So I always no. wonder, like, how could you ever? I mean, I've been pregnant three times, and there was no doubt in my mind. You know, wow. so um, I'm always like, how could you ever give birth to a baby and not know you're pregnant? And so next week when we talk about the three ways to be dysregulated, just know that if you're under responsive in the interoceptive sense, you don't actually have good awareness of what is going on inside oh. your own body. So there's actual explanations for some of these phenomenons that most of us find very like intriguing. Wow. You know, so we'll talk about that a little more next week. But so interest perception is very important in early childhood and let me tell you why because potty training is one of the biggest things for parents right sure. want to get our kids out of diapers and get right. them you know potty train and for kids who have um who struggle with awareness of what's going on inside their own body mm -hmm. uh just know that potty training uh you know can be a real issue yep. so i think next week uh, or for the next episode whenever we record that we will talk about the um about dysregulation uh, across these eight sensory systems okay does that sound good sounds good very good very good so thank you for listening to another episode of slp talk show this was like more like OT talk show, yeah. wasn't it? It was, yeah. it was, it was great. I, I love talking sensory though, because it really helps us understand uh, behavior. So uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a review. Let us know what you think. As you head back to the real world, remember to practice kindness and acceptance and please, please get your boobies checked every year. It could just save your life. It certainly saved mine until we meet again. Cheers. Cheers.